Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone. This is Margaret, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy, and today we are talking to Dr. Elise Dobrow DeMarco. She's a clinical psychologist in private practice who specializes in helping women use cognitive behavioral therapy and related evidence-based strategies to navigate the myriad challenges of motherhood. Her writing has been featured in places like Psychology Today and Scary Mommy, as well as on her own blog, drcbtmom.com. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and two sons, and her brand new book is Mom Brain, Proven Strategies to Fight the Anxiety, Guilt, and Overwhelming Emotions of Motherhood and Relax into Your New Self. Welcome, Elise. Thank you for having me. This is a book we need it. Anxiety, (laughs) feeling it. But by mom brain, I want to start by defining what mom brain is because we like there's hashtag mom brain, like where's my phone mom brain, but that's not exactly what you mean, is it? Right. No. So there's, well, I have two answers to this. I have the answer in kind of what scientific studies are telling us about what mom brain is. And then I'll tell you why I chose it for the title of the book too. So it's interesting, you know, we haven't studied the maternal brain all that much, which seems crazy. So the research that's coming out now is really sort of new emerging stuff. But what's been shown is that like, contrary to what you see, you know, in memes and whatever, mom brain, you're right, Amy, is not about like, oh, I misplaced my cell phone or I walked out without a shoe on or whatever. It has nothing to do with any cognitive deficits. Moms don't like lose their minds when they have babies. Instead, what it means is that our brains are actually wired to prioritize our children once we have children, right? Which means that the kids kind of rise to the top of the brain priority list, which also means that other things are going to fall by the wayside, right? So other things that we might have attended to, we might have, you know, uh, focused on more, we're not going to do that as much because our kids are now top of mind basically all the time. And there's some like cool science, you know, out there that's showing this. So that's what mom brain sort of really is scientifically. I chose the title for the book, not be, only because I thought that research was really neat, but because I thought it captured just sort of the myriad changes that moms undergo once they, you know, become parents, both cognitive and emotional, right? And I talk about all those changes in the book. So it seems like a good title that brought all that together. I think that hashtag mom brain, I forgot my keys, like that's just tired. But you're talking about a much deeper experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I also think it's, you know, the hashtag mom brains is very kind of dismissive, right? And it makes us look like lunatics who can't keep track of our things when like in reality, our brains are undergoing these like fundamental changes to help us care for children, which is a wonderful and powerful thing. 
And the issue is, I guess, that all the areas of our life become impacted by these changes because we have a baby, like there's a hand grenade thrown into the middle of our lives, but the rest of our lives were supposed to kind of continue as they were before, except nothing's the same. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things that I focus on in the book is identity changes in particular when you become a mother, right? Where, as you're right, like a baby is thrown into the mix of your life and you're all of a sudden, you are not the same person. You're not the same person at work. You're not the same spouse if you're married. You're not the same child if your parents are still around. You're fundamentally so different and it impacts everything that you do. And I think it's, again, the, the mom brain title is sort of an acknowledgement of that. It's not all bad, right? Like you talk about how in the book, how there's more anxiety, there's more guilt, there's more self-criticism, but there's also, you know, love and joy that's indescribable. Is that the positive part of the mom brain too? Oh, sure. I mean, it's all part of it, right? And I think maternal emotions are really complicated, right? Because there's so much happening. Like, it's the highest highs, it's the lowest lows. It's also everything in between too. Like a lot of, you know, like the boredom of the early days and months with an infant, right? Or like, you know, there's so much going on and emotions are so complex. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned in the book that I hear from moms all the time is like, they'll say, you know, I'm having two seemingly completely contradictory feelings about the exact same experience at the same time, right? So like, I feel like a good example of this is like, you know, when somebody is so happy that their kid finally joins a peer group, but is also devastated that their kid is not around anymore right. and doesn't want to hang with them, right? So it's this mix of joy and relief and then sort of like devastation and loss. And I think that happens so often for us, right? When we become moms is, is there's good and bad mixed together, again, often about the very same thing at the very same time. And let's drill down a little bit on this anxiety piece, not asking for a friend. I found that the one thing in motherhood that I was unbelievably unprepared for was the anxiety. Just the, I had my first baby at 37. And so I had been anxious in my life, but I think I actually had postpartum anxiety, which is, you know, physiological thing, obviously, and, and, and a kind of a deeper thing. But I have been shocked that nobody sits you down and is like, hey, the anxiety is pretty rough with this thing. It's basically like tiny piece of your body walking around unprotected outside of you. And I don't know, it came as a huge shock to me how omnipresent the anxiety has been. Yep, for sure. And especially now, right? I mean, especially during COVID when anxiety is off the charts for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what's sort of problematic about all of the memes out there and some of the websites and, and stuff that, that's catered to moms is that you often hear about like the highest highs. So that's like the hashtag grateful, hashtag blessed kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Motherhood's the greatest. Cherish every moment. Yeah. We don't talk a lot about that on the podcast for sure. <laughs> That's why I like your podcast. And then there's like the lowest lows, the kind of like snarky, oh, motherhood, whatever. But anxiety, yes, is one of those things that is not really covered and spoken about. And anxiety can manifest in so many ways when you're a parent because, right, like all of a sudden you are tasked with keeping a person alive, right? which is a heady responsibility to be sure, especially during like a pandemic when we're told that there's this like external threat that we all need to be prepared for. 
And there's so many ways that anxiety can manifest, right? And so, you know, it's a theme of the book, right? I devote two entire chapters to anxiety, but I really talk about anxiety throughout. I read them twice, just to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because there's so many sources of anxiety, right? So it's anxiety about keeping your kids safe. There's anxiety about keeping yourself safe, right? Like a lot of moms I work with actually have their own health anxiety, right? Where, wow, I'm responsible now for keeping a kid alive. Oh my gosh, I just felt this lump. Do I have cancer? Will I die? Will I not be here for my kid? Right. So there's a lot of that. There's anxiety engendered by social media, which I devote a chapter to in the book, but to devote many, many books to where you see what other people are doing. You see what other moms are doing, what other kids are doing, and you feel like you should be doing whatever it is they're doing. Right. And that engenders a lot of anxiety. Comparison making in general engenders a lot of anxiety. Yes, there are so many judgments made of moms, you know, that engender anxiety. So there's just so many sources of anxiety for moms. And like, to your point, Margaret, you know, people don't necessarily warn moms about that and say like, hey, your anxiety may go into overdrive and here's some things that can help you, right? I don't think that's discussed enough slash at all, really, even these days. Can we talk about how this can be sort of sudden onset too? I mean, it was sort of my perception before reading this book that if you were an anxious person, you might have postpartum anxiety because that would happen to somebody who's anxious. But in many cases, this can kind of come out of the blue. For me, out of the blue. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's sort of analogous to what happened when COVID hit, right? Like I'm sure you guys have heard from like family and friends that some people were like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm anxious about health in general. So like, this is scary. But a lot of other people are anxious sort of for the first time, right? And and are saying Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for this. And like, I've never felt this before. And this feels so awful and feels so terrible. And I think that's true of new motherhood as well. So for sure, like there are people, for example, I mentioned health anxiety who have health anxiety, you know, about their own health predating having had kids. And so once they have kids, it kind of reaches a fever pitch. But absolutely, there are moms, many of whom I've treated for whom this is kind of new, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, again, getting back to the kind of identity issue, like all of a sudden, a big part of their identity is protecting a small child. And the stakes of that feel so much higher, right, than anything else they've done previously. And that can be really terrifying. And I'll say too, another interesting source of anxiety, which I talk about in the book as well, is kind of changing relationship dynamics that happen when you have a kid. So you may have like a really smoothly functioning partnership with your partner. You may get along super great with your parents, your in-laws, and then a kid comes in and things can happen. (laughs) And that too is a source of anxiety. And not so much anymore. Right. And all of a sudden people are like, I'm anxious about like the future of my marriage or my partnership. Or all of a sudden, like I'm anxious about like me and my parents and why we're not getting along. So yeah, I think you see both things, right? You see people with pre-existing anxiety issues and you see that kind of manifesting. And you also see people, as you said, Margaret, who's just like, this is new to me. What do I do with this? Right. I hear that a lot. And is it true that it, I mean, for me, it felt like it turned a switch, like it literally activated a part of my brain. I remember saying to my mom when my child was about three days old, like, I just have this constant worry about what's going to happen to him. And she's like, yeah, get used to that. You'll be (laughs) feeling it for the next 50 years. And it was not the most helpful comment I've ever received because I was like, oh my God, it actually does get better. Like, I feel like for me, I now, like even talking about the pandemic, I was like, yeah, we're going to have to sit in. It'll be fine. Like, I'm not as bad as I was when they were born, but it does feel like that biological imperative, like mama bear, mama lion kind of thing 
that suddenly every room I'm in, I'm like, what's sharp? What's dangerous? What falls off into a drop? And that part of my brain seemed to get overactivated. Yeah, I would agree. And I think so much of it too is that feeling of responsibility that we have as moms, which I feel at times, frankly, is over responsibility. And I talk about this in the book too, how like, we hold ourselves solely responsible, right, for everything that happens with this kid and not just babies, but as our kids get older as well, which of course can be a problematic and lead to helicoptering and whatnot. But I think, you know, we do feel like this is my job and it is my job to make sure this baby and later this kid is thriving. And if this kid isn't thriving for whatever reason, that's on me and I've got to fix this. So talk about anxiety, right? I mean, like that's so much to put on ourselves. So yeah, I mean, I think it is for sure. And again, I blame social media, et cetera, for engendering some of these feelings of over-responsibility too, right? Like, mama, this is your gift. This is your, you know, all that stuff. And also like, oh, you did a horrible job putting your kid in that car seat. You might as well have just thrown them out the window, like that kind of stuff too. Oh, I mean, and that's constant, right? Constant. So you have the soup of emotions. And then on top of it all, you feel bad that you have the soup of emotions. You're not supposed to be feeling this way. It's all supposed to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the worst parts, if not the worst part. And actually, you know, one of the things early on, as I started doing this work that made me realize that actually cognitive behavioral therapy and related treatments like acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, I realized they were a good fit for this because all of those treatments really stress emotion acceptance, right? Of basically saying what you're feeling is valid and what you're feeling makes sense. And if you are feeling these crummy things. And then on top of that, judging yourself for feeling these crummy things, it's like you're making it a bazillion times worse for yourself, right? So it's more important to be accepting of the good, the bad, and the in-betweens, you know, that you feel, especially during motherhood, rather than immediately judging yourself for these feelings and trying to fix them. I think it's so important because otherwise, again, it's like adding insult to injury, right? And it's tough for a lot of moms. For sure. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to hear more about cognitive behavioral therapy, what it is and how moms can use it. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So we're talking to Elise Dobra DeMarco. Her new book is Mom Brain, Proven Strategies to Fight the Anxiety, Guilt, and Overwhelming Emotions of Motherhood and Relax into Your New Self. Let's talk about some proven strategies. Can you explain what CBT is for listeners who might not be familiar? Sure. So CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and it is an evidence-based treatment that really focuses on the here and now as opposed to the past. So, you know, you may be more familiar with sort of more traditional forms of psychotherapy when the goal might be to really delve into your past, to gain insight into a longstanding problem, to make sense of your childhood. It's not that CBT ignores those things, but really the imperative in CBT is helping you cope in the here and now with concrete research-supported strategies, right? So it's like, well, if you're feeling really anxious about you know, your daughter not doing well on the softball field, right? Are there skills that can help you with that? Are there things that you can put into play right now that can help you deal with your anxiety? And I'll explain kind of the letters in CBT. So the C cognitive is about changing thinking patterns, right? So identifying maybe kind of problematic thinking patterns that get in your way, that persist in, you know, in keeping your anxiety alive and trying to help you challenge those with strategies. Behavioral, the B part is just like it sounds, right? So like challenging behaviors that may be contributing to anxiety, to low mood, to irritability, to, you know, anything, helping you behave in different ways so you feel differently. And then we do a lot of mindfulness and acceptance work now in CBT too, where it's really about, we were talking about emotional acceptance. The mindfulness piece is just sort of about allowing yourself to be where you are, like emotionally and cognitively, not judging yourself, not trying to change the moment, just being in the moment, right? And accepting that you are where you are, while at the same time recognizing you won't be there forever. And maybe you will even be there in the next moment, right? We do a lot of that in CBT too. And I talk a lot about that in my book as well. And those strategies come from acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, which are two other evidence-based strategies that I draw on a lot in the book. And for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of CBT, haven't experienced CBT, I will say a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, addressing behaviors and strategizing around behaviors for your kids and yourself is based on these kind of theories. It's a lot of be careful of your story, the stuff that we talk about. I just want to put that in people's paths. It's a lot of what we try to do on the podcast. So Elise, you were talking about mindfulness and I used this technique for myself recently and it blew my mind that I was upset about a fight that I had been in earlier that day and kind of nursing that grievance and nursing that like, why didn't this person understand me? And realized that I was choosing to continue to nurse the grief. But like, but I'm okay now, but I'm not fighting with anybody now. That fight is over now and I can, you know, move into the rest of my day. Is that what you mean by using mindfulness? 
Yeah. So I actually, I can give you an exercise that kind of illustrates this really well. So one of the things that I talk about in the book (laughs) is the leaves on a stream exercise, which is basically, it's an imagery exercise where you close your eyes and you try in your mind's eye to see the thoughts and feelings that are coming up for you as leaves on a stream. And you don't try to push them off the stream. You don't try to drain the stream. You just sort of like observe and describe what your mind is doing and sort of let the thoughts and feelings be there for as long as they need to be, right? And so in that example, right, if you're sort of ruminating about a fight, right, and and going back and forth over it in your head, it's really about just taking a step back and being like, all right, like, I'm having the thought that like, this didn't go well, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling upset, I'm feeling guilty, I mean, whatever it is you were feeling, Amy. And just for a couple of moments, just letting yourself see the thoughts coming through your head about the fight and the accompanying feelings as leaves on a stream. Because what that does is it gives you a little bit of distance from your thoughts and feelings, right? Enough to just recognize what they are, recognize that they're just sort of temporary mental events, and they may keep coming back on the stream for a little while, or they may at some point leave the stream, and you know they at some point will leave the stream, obviously. But it lets you just let yourself have the thoughts and feelings without judging yourself for them, without trying to fix them or change them or do anything about them, because that never works. It never works, right? We can't tell ourselves not to think something and then just stop thinking it, right? If anything, it makes us think it more, right? So the goal is instead just to be like, I'm going to stop trying to control this, and I'm going to stop trying to change this, and I'm just going to observe and describe what my head is doing. And it can really bring you peace in those moments where like, to your point, Amy, like there was nothing you could do about it, right? Like you're in a different spot in your day. It's not like you're addressing the fight at this moment. There was nothing action oriented you could do. So a better approach than ruminating and judging yourself and thinking about how to fix it is just to let it be and see what your head is doing and just sit with it and accept it and show yourself some compassion for what you're feeling. And again, I think this is so important for moms who have so many feelings all day long, right, that they can't necessarily act on or change in any way. And I think it sometimes this kind of idea can sound facile to people like, oh, we'll just let it in. And but it's so practical because I think one of my sources I know of anxiety as a mom is a lot of holding stuff away from me that like, oh, I just thought like, what if the kid, you know, eats that detergent and dies and like, oh, but if I have that thought somehow I'm bringing that into my life and I'm going to curse myself. I'm Irish. It's like a <laughs> lot of many generations of like superstition and craziness. But like one thing that I have really discovered through doing the podcast is not holding thoughts away from myself, bringing them closer to myself diminishes the fear of them. Because I think that like, right, what if this cough means my kid has cancer, the scariest things you can possibly think, you know, and that I know for myself as a mom, I tend to shut those thoughts down. Like I can't think about that because it's upsetting me. And this practice of bringing those thoughts closer has been very, very useful to me. And I loved that in this book. Yeah, because I think the goal really is just not to see thoughts and feelings for more than they are, right? Because I think when we get anxious, we see thoughts and feelings as the truth. Or we see them as like magically powerful, bringing things on our heads, even if you're crazy like me. For sure. Or we see them as terrible feelings we shouldn't be having because they make us bad mothers. Oh, yes. That's right. Good point. Like, maybe I don't like my kid as much as I thought I would this week. You know, like, that's a horrible thought. But everybody thinks those thoughts. But it's that I'm not allowed to have the thoughts I'm having that I think causes this crazy anxiety. 
for sure. And I think that's where mindfulness helps. I mean, I think a good example of that, right, is the classic, my baby won't stop crying. I see an open window and I think about throwing my baby out the window. Oh my God, I'm a monster, (laughs) right? As opposed to, yeah, of course you fantasize about that because you're exhausted and because you need a break and because you feel terrible. So, you know, what I say in the book is like, instead of interpreting a thought like that as dangerous, as indicating that you are a danger to your child, instead you interpret it as, hey, I think I need some help. Like I need a breather in this moment because I'm exhausted, right? So yeah, absolutely. Again, I think mindfulness is so helpful in this regard. Can we talk about that while we're on that topic? How does a mom know when she might need more help? Yeah. And what does that help look like? That's a really good question because I think it's tricky to determine, right? Because, and I wrote mom brain basically for everybody, right? Yes. Because everyone has these emotions. Everybody is going through these, you know, relationship dynamic changes, identity changes, et cetera. What I usually will tell people is it really comes down to your functioning, right? So if you start to notice that your functioning is impaired, meaning major sleep problems, caveat above and beyond what you would expect with babies. (laughs) This is a tricky one, but like, you know, sometimes I'll work with moms who are like, oh yeah, my baby's sleeping fine now and I'm still up all night worrying about them. So this would be kind of an example. I had that. Yep. Yep. So, you know, sleep problems, major difficulties with appetite, you know, losing interest or pleasure in things. And again, above and beyond what you would expect given that you're exhausted, having difficulty working, having difficulty connecting with people socially, Any disruptions in your functioning should be a clue that, hey, maybe I need to seek out additional help. And what I recommend to these moms is is CBT, you know, is looking for an evidence-based provider, you know, who does CBT, DBT, ACT, any of these evidence-based treatments to really help you manage. I think what's so hard is that so many moms see these emotions as indicative of their failure as a mother, right? Right. Well, I should be happy and loving this, and I'm not... And that means I'm a failure. And that means I'm ashamed. I'm not going to tell anybody about this. Right? Right. And one of the reasons I wrote this book was to basically say, hey, we are all feeling this stuff. There is no shame in this. And you, you know, if this is going on for a long time and interrupting your functioning, like you need to reach out. It's so critical to reach out. Again, I think a lot of moms pull in right? Because they're so ashamed of these feelings and they need to do the opposite, right? They need to reach out. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about a couple of more examples from the book of this idea of CBT. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to staying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so let's talk about some more mom strategies for moms with kids of all ages. I loved the phone plan. I need this for myself. Can you tell us at least what this involves and who might want to consider it? Totally. So, I, you know, the phone is a source of so many negative mom emotions, <laughs> especially now and especially in recent years, right? Because it's not only social media, which as we talked about drives comparison making and envy and judgment and all that stuff. But of course, the news is awful, right? And so seeing the news is upsetting continually so almost. And also, I don't need to tell the listeners that phones are incredibly distracting, right? And so when our phones are constantly pinging us, even if we know they're there, like even if we know they're next to us, it can be really hard to mindfully engage and what it is we're trying to do, right? Whether it's our work, whether it's playing with our kids. I hear about this a lot, you know, from moms of kids of all ages who will say, I don't feel like I'm present with my kid because I'm constantly looking at my phone, right? So I'm at my kid's play and I keep looking at my phone or I'm at my kid's soccer game and I can't help myself. So I get very, very behavioral with moms and talk very specifically about creating a plan around phone usage. Not too dissimilar from what you do with teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. Or with screen time where, where you're like, okay, these are the hours when you're going to do screen time. I work with moms to establish hours and conditions for phone usage, right? And it varies by mom according to kind of how problematic it is for them. So for some moms, I'll say, all right, you know, maybe they'll say to me, oh, I'm working, but I can't stop checking, you know, my kids like, oh, this is for moms of really little kids. They have these daycare cams now which I find really... Oh. I'm so glad they didn't have this when my no. two were in daycare because... They have them for dogs, too. I know people who are like, look at my dog at daycare. I'm like, no, I will not be doing that. Thank you. It's so crazy, right? So you can watch your kids 24-7 in daycare or you can, or the baby monitors are on apps now, which again, I missed. My kids are 7 and 10. You um, can opt out of that app, friends. Opt out of the daycare cam, people. Oh, yes, Oh, goodness, I cannot stress that enough. Or create a plan where you're like, all right, I got to work. So maybe I check my phone at the 50 of every hour and check it from, you know, 1250 to one. And then don't check it again till 150. Again, it depends on the mom because some moms are like, God, I don't want to check it at all during the day. And then we talk about that. Some moms, actually, I should say almost all moms, some of the intervention is around usage of phone at night. Because A, it screws up your bedtime. I need that intervention. 
Yes. Yeah. I think we all do. Because the problem is we get so tired and the kids are finally out of our faces. So we're like, yay, Instagram. But Instagram, again, can breed so many complicated, difficult feelings. So I talk to moms a lot about like putting a cap on your phone time and like, you know, a time after which you no longer want to check it. I'm trying. I'm trying, Elise. I'm trying. It's not going great for me. I know. It's so hard. And you have to be really disciplined about it. And this is where, again, having your own CBT therapist can help (laughs) because then they can hold you accountable, right? Do you have a service where you actually slap the phone out of people's hands at (laughs) night? Because that seems to be my only hope at this point. That is a great idea and a moneymaker and we should do it. (laughs) Yes. Should just hire an army of people to go around and slap those phones down. Oh, I need it. Totally. Well, some of it is just putting it away from yourself. So like a thing that I did with myself years ago and I highly recommend is not taking the phone into your bedroom. Oh, And then people are always like, but it's my alarm. And I'm like, just get an alarm clock. Like, you know? Right. There were excuses and they're all excuses. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to tell you, like, so I've done this myself and so many moms I work with have done this. And like, our reaction is always the same, which is it feels like a massive relief and it's easier to fall and stay asleep because we don't have the ever-present threat that that thing is going to ping at us, right? Or that that thing is going to deliver bad news. I want to say that Amy and I, we first discussed putting phones out of the bedroom easily three <laughs> years ago. And I was like, that is a great idea. I have a friend who works in a secure location that has the box out front where you have to drop your phone before you're allowed in the room. I'm like, I'm putting up a box like we're a secure location. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Three years in, I haven't done it yet. I'm still scrolling Twitter until midnight and it's not great, but I'm a work in progress. I do do it. And then there's a creep and like, oh, but tonight I have to because one of my kids is, uh, you know, is still out and I need to have my phone, whatever. It sneaks back in. The phone is not my master, but I act like it is. Ugh. I'm like, I have to because tonight there's that celebrity scandal that I have to keep up <laughs> on with Twitter until 2 a.m. Like I have no excuse, but it's a bad habit. I'm trying. Yeah. And you just have to be really sort of disciplined about it. And like I said, it's helpful to have a therapist holding you accountable. But even if it's just you, you really create a specific plan for yourself. And I talk about sort of planning a lot in the book. The best thing you can do when you're trying to set behavior plans like this for yourself as a mom, whether it's phone time, whether it's getting some time to take care of yourself every day, you just have to be really specific. Okay. These are the hours when I'm going to check my phone, right? This is exactly where I'm going to put my phone when I'm not using it. Like the more specific you are and planful you are, the more likely that it's going to happen. And this works across many things. I have implemented this with Googling things <laughs> I'm concerned about. Like that was a big crutch for me for a long time. And I have called that out of my life through discipline. Just like I'm not going to Google symptoms of anything because it's not helpful. It's a rabbit hole and it gives me like a spark. I mean, people do things for a reason, right? You don't do things because you're a moron. You do them because they help you. And it did give me that spark of like salve, but eventually it's not productive and it's not good for me. The school portal is a big one like this. Amy Wilson, I know you were a school portal addict for a little while, but like not checking the school portal can be stopped. You know, you can back away from other behaviors. I get a little bit stuck in that school portal thing because this is the perfect example where you are like, stop checking it all the time, mom. And then literally the next day I'll get an email from the school. Like some of you have not yet submitted this thing. It's been on the portal. (laughs) Like you stop looking for 10 minutes and then you're a bad mom because you didn't check. So to find the balance is hard. Yeah. And you assign yourself a time to check. You're like, okay, my school portal checking time is... 3 p.m. every day or twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. And then you just have to be like, okay, this is the only time I'm going to check it or else I'm going to fall down a rabbit hole. 
I guess that's what I'm coming to understand that CBT, it's like, yeah, this is a hassle and it's hard to know. So let's just put these parameters around it, right? Let's just be really strict about this is what's going to work for me. And then you can adjust that, but you're not lost in the, it's so hard sometimes to know how much to check the portal. We'll just get back in charge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's, you know, it's really helpful. The reason that I think CBT is so appealing for moms in particular is because it just offers very concrete very easily doable solutions and strategies, right? So it's not like, oh, I'd love to like not use my phone more because that's not going to lead you anywhere, right? But if instead you're like, oh, let me set a specific plan for how I'm not going to use my phone more, that's what gets it to happen. Yeah. And I think for people, that idea of, I have this myself and I think other people have it as well, that like, I'll just figure this out. I don't want to delve into 9 million things about, you know, my third grade relationship with my mother. I just want to figure out how to stop feeling this bad way. It's very practical. And I am a results-oriented, practical person. And I am a huge fan of CBT because it, and just like this book, it's practical. It's not a 30,000 foot view. It's like, here are strategies that will help. And also, I will say also for the book that it's in segments. So you don't have to sit down and be like, I got to commit to 300 pages. You can read 10 minutes of it at a time, get a good strategy and takeaway and revisit it, which for a lot of moms is the place to be right now at this stage in our lives. Yeah, I did that very deliberately because I know too, from being a mom myself, yeah, that like, oh, good. I'm so glad because I'm like, I can't, put a tome in front of moms and expect them to read it. Like we have to do really short sections. They have to be very clear what they're about. So you can, you know, if you're dealing with anxiety, you go right to the anxiety pieces. If you're dealing with relationship stuff with your spouse, you go right to that. And my hope is that, you know, even though it's mostly about like little, little kids, these are strategies that you can use throughout your kid's life, right? It's they're evergreen. They continue to apply. For sure. We neither Amy nor I have little littles anymore. And it's super useful for all moms. Right. I mean, I have an 18-year-old right now, and we went through the process of applying to college, teaching him to drive, and now in a couple of months, he'll be leaving the nest entirely. And that's another fraught time. And you can return to these lessons of how much of this anxiety is necessary and how much of it do I need to put some parameters around. I'll be dipping into mom brain. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Some dog-eared pages in that one for you, Amy. Yes. Elise, tell us about your work and where we can find you. Sure. So my website is drcbtmom.com, D-R cbtmom.com. And I am Dr. CBT Mom on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can find my writing, I post everything basically on my website. So I've done some writing for the Washington Post recently. You can find that there. Any of the mom writing that I do is there. Yeah. So kind of Dr. CBT Mom everywhere. So we're going to put a link to all of that in the show notes. And I want to give another shout out to the book. It's called Mom Brain, Proven Strategies to Fight the Anxiety, Guilt, and Overwhelming Emotions of Motherhood and Relax into Your New Self. It'll be also in our bookshop store. Elise, thanks for talking to us. Friends, check this one out. It's our favorite combination of useful and readable. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.